Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. Today we have Art Bell. Art Bell is the media executive known as both the creator of Comedy Central and former president of Court TV. He also spent time with CBS and HBO. He has recently published his memoir titled Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Welcome to the Action Catalyst, Art. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, man, just hopping right into it. As I was reading your bio, it is very uh, curious how someone starts their career as an economist and went to business school at Horton and then turned your career to comedy and television. Uh, (laughs) How in the world did that happen? Uh, Well, a little bit by design. I ended up an economist because I I majored in economics in undergraduate school and I loved it. I thought it was terrific and uh, got a job as an economist. Worked there for three years and then said, you know, I don't want to be an economist. I'd always loved comedy and film and television. I said, all right, you know what? I'll go back to school, kind of like changing the channel, I called it. Go back to school, see if I can't get into the business. So I did. When I got out of school, I found out that (laughs) most of my compatriots at Wharton were going to Wall Street. And uh, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go to the entertainment business. So I got a job at CBS, only job I could get as a financial analyst. Oh, wow. I know. So how do you go to comedy? Was comedy always a passion or how, how did that come about? Right. Yeah. We got to zoom back to when I was eight years old and I discovered that I loved comedy. I was watching it on Ed Sullivan. I started to think about what it meant to be funny and should I be funny myself and practiced in class and got thrown out a lot. <laughs> but, you know, I listen, I saw Richard Pryor at his first appearance on the Ed Sullivan show, which was, you know, Ed Sullivan was a weekly variety show, which was watched by, you know, 25 million people at a time. And, you know, watching those guys, watching uh, some of the Borscht Belt comedians, everybody was on the Ed Sullivan show. It was just a great education in comedy for an eight-year-old. And I, I, I found out I loved it. So I became a comedy nerd for the rest of my school career. I was just fascinated. That's awesome. Were you someone like Seinfeld who studied the science of comedy or did it come natural or a little bit of both? Well, I'm not sure you'd call what I did studying it. I did listen to, you know, when I was in sixth or seventh grade, you know, the albums coming out were uh, George Carlin's album, which was a zillion seller. Everybody worth his salt had it. And we played it. Uh, I have two younger brothers. We played it in my house over and over constantly for months <laughs> until we started talking like George Carlin, which uh, to the disappointment of my mother. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, you know, Robert Klein's album was out. Uh, Prior had albums out. You know, so I got to listen to these guys over and over. Is that studying? I guess it's studying. Yeah. I'm not sure I study it the way Jerry Seinfeld studies it. He's got to be more analytical than me because he's, you know, up there performing. Well, it's interesting. Uh, While working at HBO, you came up with the idea for 24-hour comedy network, 
which developed and launched as the Comedy Channel, which became Comedy Central. Tell us the story about how all of that came about. Yeah, you know, even when you say it, I came up with the idea for an all-comedy network. It sounds completely stupid, right? Because it doesn't seem like that elusive an idea, right? I mean, now that Comedy Central has been out there for 30 years, everybody says, oh, yeah, 24 hours of comedy makes sense. But at the time, people thought it was kind of a crazy idea. So it was not only saying, hey, we should have a comedy network, but sort of pointing out how we could start it without going broke, what it would be. You know, I did the financials, I did the programming outlines. I, you know, I really put a lot of work into it before anybody actually said yes. I love comedy, as you know, and I wanted it to be a place for comedy, you know, where where great comedy could come, where great comedians and great writers and performers could could sort of gravitate and uh, do what they do best. And I think, you know, certainly Comedy Central has lived up to that ideal, that vision. But it was a it was a tough start. Let me tell you, one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I wanted people, especially young people, to know that Comedy Central was not just launched fully, you know, fully formed and completely successful. It was almost shut down. Tell us more about that, because HBO, that's a huge organization to be part of. What was that like? What was the the bumps along the way? And You know, here at the Action Catalyst, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to this, business-minded people. So speak to that audience of things that they could probably relate to that you had to go through in a different industry for most people in in entertainment. Yeah. Well, I think I could start out by saying I, I wanted to work in the entertainment industry. I wanted to work in comedy. But, you know, as I said, my first job was in finance. So I had to kind of find a side door into doing what I wanted to do. I got hired at HBO, unbelievably because they were looking for somebody to do econometric forecasting of subscribers. And a friend of mine from HBO called up and said, look, you're the only guy in the business I know knows anything about econometrics and economics. So I got the job and it was, you know, a fairly low level job, but fairly high profile because people wanted to know. So it was a good, it was a good place to be at HBO. Mind you, it was the last thing I wanted to do at HBO, just the last thing. Um, but HBO was a small organization. I said, okay, if I do well here, I get a chance to move over, you know, to get into programming the channel, choosing the programming, developing the programming, which is what I wanted to do. I spent a couple of years doing that first job. And then I got moved to new business development, uh, which was a good thing. But the first lesson I learned there was if you want to do something, choose a company where it's the primary focus, number one. Second, get a job at that company. And third, whatever job you get, do it great. You know, don't phone it in, do a terrific job, but tell everybody what you really want to do. So they know, because they're not going to figure it out. And that's what I did. And the more I told people what I wanted to do, the more they understood what I wanted to do. And that's how I kind of moved over to new business development and got to know some programmers and took it from there. That is a really interesting story and led to a long career. And then take us from that to the next thing. When when you transitioned from walking away from Comedy Central, when did you know that that was the right time? And, and what was it that was kind of on your horizon from your, your next endeavor? Well, it wasn't hard to figure out that it was, a, was the right time because they changed management and the new president called me in and said, you know what? You got your fingers all fingerprints all over this place. You're fired. <laughs> well, that that makes it uh, easy to, to know that it's time to <laughs> right, transition. Right. That, that was definitely a signal <laughs> that it was time to leave. But you know, it, it happened, and I discuss and you know I talk about it in a way that's very personal. Most people don't talk about when they were fired. 
lot of people get fired in their careers, as you know. And I learned a lot from it. I learned, first of all, that you don't get fired just because you screwed up your job. Certainly, I hadn't screwed up mine. At least I didn't think so. And I said, I remember saying to myself at the time, what do you have to do to keep a job in this business? How about you invent the channel, spend eight years you know, trying to make it successful and working hard, and then that's not good enough. That's just not good enough to keep a job. But you know, those were lessons that I, uh, that I took to heart. Somebody said to me at the time, listen, if you don't get fired once in a while, it means you're not doing anything interesting, <laughs> controversial, <laughs> which you know, I appreciate it. And uh, it really kind of humbled me. Not that I wasn't humble to begin with, but it really, it really made me uh, look at people who had gotten fired in a different way. Because I always assumed, no, you got fired. Well, why would I want to hire you? You know, I mean, because you probably screwed something up. But now I knew it wasn't the case. Mm, that's interesting. And, and once you had that transition from Comedy Central, you became president of Court TV. So tell us about building that brand and cable television and. Because back then, I'm not sure, was Court TV, was that a new idea or how long had it been around? I'll tell you about it. Um, I will say that I was kind of wandering in the wilderness for two years after I got fired. And that was a fascinating two years because I got hired by a number of channels as a consultant. And I really got to see how the television business worked across a range of concepts. And I did public television. I did some cable networks. And at the end of that two years, I got a couple of job offers and Court TV looked like the most interesting. And you know why? Because it was failing. As Comedy Central was the first year, it was another disaster. And that's, that's the kind of challenge I wanted because I figured, okay, I'm going to basically go in and get a blank palette here, you know, a completely blank canvas. Uh, and, and I wanted to work on that. Court TV had been started by a journalist who wanted to put cameras in the courtroom and show courtroom trials all day and all night. Now, the guy was a very successful print journalist, but he didn't know much about television. Television makes most of its money at night, and nobody was watching court television at night. Uh, they were watching primetime television on HBO and the networks and all the other cable channels that were around then. So when I walked in, I instantly decided, okay, the thing to do is put in a primetime schedule that people are going to want to watch. Do courtroom trials during the day and then do shows, documentaries, actually, uh, true crime at night. We developed Court TV as a home for true crime documentaries very early on. We had a hit called Forensic Files, which I think is still on the air. You know, really kind of looked at how science solved crimes. And then we did, you know, lots of other similar shows. We did Psychic Detectives which was copied on a, a, a dramatic show on CBS. But we did the real psychic detectives. We, you know, we interviewed psych, you know, we had psychic detectives solving crimes on, on television. Like the actual people? It was yeah, the real, the actual the real people. guys? No, these were documentaries, you know, uh, they were half hour or hour documentary series, basically. And, you know, we, uh, we basically made, made the channel by expanding the boundaries of true crime in any way we could figure out how to do it. And we ended up, you know, at top, one of the top 10 or 15 most viewed cable channels. So we turned it around. We ended up, I started, they had 20 million subs. Eight years later, they had 85 million and they were a top channel and they got bought by Turner. So second time a channel got pulled out from under me. But, you know, listen, I, I, I walked out with my head held high and, you know, I was very proud of what, what we did to turn the channel around. That is awesome. You have to have so many interesting projects and it's probably hard to pick one of them it's like saying which one's your favorite kid but if you were to say what was your favorite project that you just loved what would you say oh man there are a lot of them you know I, i'll go back to comedy when we first started comedy channel 
I mentioned that one of my heroes, uh, one of my early comedy heroes was Robert Klein, right? It's rare to get the opportunity to meet your heroes, let alone work with them. But I, I wanted to do a show on the channel that was about classic comedy, you know, and I'm talking classic. I'm talking silence. I'm talking Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and those guys, Fatty Arbuckle. So we put together a show. We got a writer and we got Robert Klein to narrate it. And so I spent endless hours in the booth <laughs> as Robert Klein was narrating the show, watching, you know, the antics of all these great old comedians and Klein loved them. I mean, he was just as taken with the whole thing as I was. And so he did a great job of, of narrating. And, you know, we got to be buddies for a while. And it was really, really uh, a fun time. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of that project. It was, you know, again, probably not the most watched thing on, on Comedy Channel or Comedy Central. But if you want to introduce your kids to comedy, to great slapstick comedy, show them some Buster Keaton. It'll just send shivers up your spine, what that guy's doing to make people laugh. I love that. Well, so on the other side of it, if you were to say your least favorite project or the project that crashed and burned the most wildly successfully crash and burn, what, what would you say that would be? Okay. So now we're going to go way past Court TV. I, I went back to consulting. I started a consulting group with a couple of guys and we, we grew and we got clients. One of our clients was Panasonic and they were about to introduce a new television that had, wait for it. 3D capability, but there was no 3D television programming available, not very much. And so they had to get, they had to first of all find it, and then they had to put it together in some kind of a channel. Uh, and finally, they had to encourage directors to use their equipment to make 3D television. So I got involved with that. And that was as fascinating as you can imagine. It was also the biggest failure. <laughs> Maybe now, is this like wearing 3D glasses at yeah. home? Yeah, okay. yeah. Listen, you know, you can buy televisions with 3D capability today, and and they're really cool, except you have to wear the glasses. There's no 3D without having one signal come to one eye and another picture basically come to another eye. And there's only a few ways to do that. None of them involve just sitting in front of a screen without glasses or anything. So I think that was part of the problem. But we did put together a 3D channel. We had 3D sports on it. We were trying to, I'm laughing. It wasn't funny at the time. We were very serious about it. We tried to convince the NFL to do, you know, the Super Bowl in 3D. I remember we tried to convince uh, CBS was doing uh, Victoria's Secret, the fashion show. And uh, we tried to get them to do that in 3D because we figured that would be a great introduction. Anyway, you can get beautiful girls to introduce a new product. Uh, you know, sometimes that can be helpful. Anyway, they, they turned us down cold and we thought that was too bad. Anyway, we, we, you know, we just kept trying. We just kept trying. And uh, turns out the directors and the director of Victoria's Secret show, they loved 3D. They loved working with it. For them, it was a new tool. It was like, you know, rack focus or, um, or going from black and white to color or back to black and white for that matter. You know, it was just a, a storytelling tool for them that, that opened up so many great possibilities. And television viewers just didn't buy it. There's a lot of 3D movie making that was, that was going on, as you know. I watched with my daughter 4D of Spider-Man. Oh, really? What's the fourth D? Your chair basically yeah, throws you around, jostles you. I got sprayed water in my face. Uh, wind was blowing into my ears. 
I, I didn't like it actually. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it sounds like okay, we're going to show you a movie and we're going to torture you at the yes, same time. I was gripping my seat <laughs> the entire show. Yeah, I couldn't even tell you what the content of the movie was because I was just You're just waiting for the next thing, right? That's like right. A, the electric shock or the. Yeah. Let me ask, did it enhance the viewing for your daughter? I mean, did she like it? You know, she loved it. Yeah. So, so for kids, I think it adds it to it. But for us old people, I actually thought about standing up and watching it in the aisle. And I'd be that old guy, uh, you know, standing there watching the movie while everybody else is having fun in the moving chairs. So wow. uh, she loved it, though. I will tell you this. It was as entrepreneurial an undertaking as anything. I mean, you know, entrepreneurs consider themselves, and I know you have a lot of entrepreneurs out there, they're people who start businesses from scratch. But I was an entrepreneur. So many businesses get started inside other businesses. And entrepreneur was a term coined around the, uh, the time I was starting Comedy Channel. I hadn't even heard it. But let me just say that entrepreneurship offers a lot of advantages. You don't have to come up with the money yourself. You're not constantly raising money. Disadvantage, you don't own the thing. Advantage, you've got often got uh, a name brand endorsing the new brand. You've often got access to people, places, and things that you're going to need for your business that you wouldn't otherwise have access to in, in that kind of time. So, you know, sometimes you're an entrepreneur, sometimes you're an entrepreneur. But if it, it's your dream to start a new business, Start the new business and do it any way you can, because, you know, it certainly was the adventure of my career starting Comedy Central and no regrets, no regrets. That is so awesome, Art. Actually, here at Southwestern Family of Companies, we're a global conglomerate made of 18 different businesses, and we use the term entrepreneur often. And we're a team of entrepreneurs where individually, a lot of our people could start a business on their own, and some of them successfully have. But we know together as a group of entrepreneurs, we can support each other, leverage each other and build faster together versus trying to go the road alone. And right. so that that term is one near and dear to our heart here at Southwestern and amen to everything you said about the benefits and how that helps things to build. You know, so I actually would love to hear for just you being so integrated into the world of TV. What's your favorite current TV show that's happening on air right now? You know what? I'm, I'll just go with the one I'm watching because I think it's great. It's it's Reacher on, on, I believe it's Amazon. See, there you go. You got Amazon, you got Netflix. You can't figure out which one is which. It's the old <laughs> problem that CBS, NBC, and ABC had. It's based on the Jack Reacher series by Lee Child, which was always a favorite thriller series of mine. Great character. And I believe it was, not I believe, it was made into a movie with Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise was like the worst possible choice to play Reacher because in the book, Reacher is like a, a huge guy, six foot five. He's <laughs> strong as an ox, but, you know, very smart, quiet. He had been in the military. So this time we turn on the channel, there's this guy and he looks exactly like you'd picture Jack Reacher. And the series is so beautifully written. It just really absorbed the book. Getting from a book to television is hard. That's awesome. Well, you have written a memoir about your experiences. It's called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Tell us where the title comes from and what listeners could find in your book. Right. Well, I think I mentioned that the first year was pretty much of a disaster, and I could tell stories about that endlessly. But 
I don't have to because you can read about them in the book. And I did. When you write a memoir, you really have to turn yourself inside out. You really have to talk about your emotions and your failures as well as your successes um, and how you were feeling about things. And I think it's a very good look at what not only the television business is like, but business in general. The title comes from three months into the channel, we were failing miserably. We had been panned by the critics. It's not funny. What is HBO thinking? Who are these guys? On and on. And as I said, we almost got shut down every day. That's the way I went to work. So I get called in by the chairman of HBO. You can imagine that was a <laughs> terrifying moment for a, somebody at the relative bottom of the org chart, talking to someone at the very top of the org chart. And he said, you know what? It took a comedy channel to make me lose my sense of humor. And I realized he was right. <laughs> you know, no, I wasn't laughing. Nobody's laughing. You know, we were, we were working so hard. But he did say that, and it did occur to me that this was serious business. This wasn't just like comedy was not easy. It was not always fun. And it was going to be a bear to get this thing working. Well, tell how do they get hold of you? How do they get a hold of this book and, and check it out? Well, your first stop should be artbellwriter.com, W-R-I-T-E-R.com. And there you can see how you get my book on Amazon and other places online. You can find it in bookstores as well. I did an audio book. There's links to that. I actually did a podcast with a, uh, a friend of mine who was at Comedy Channel at the beginning with me. He was one of the first hires we made. And we interviewed a lot of people from the early days of the channel or now fabulously successful. Anyway, we did a podcast called The Constant Comedy Podcast. So all that's there, plus some of my other writing, plus an interview with myself, which people find uh, find interesting and amusing. And basically, if you want my book or if you want the audio book, go to Amazon. They have it. Awesome. Well, any closing thoughts for the listeners? Yeah. Sometimes people say, well, what, you have any advice for entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs? Here's my advice. Two things are going to make a difference that they don't always bang you over the head with in school or elsewhere. One is passion and the other is vision. Make sure you're jumping up and down when you're talking about your idea. The whole idea of an elevator pitch, okay, it's short, but you're not standing in an elevator quietly talking to the guy next to you. Every, every bone in your body has to radiate enthusiasm and confidence. Second vision, make sure you know how your product or business is going to change the world in 10 years when it's successful, because people want to know that. They don't want to know it's going to make a billion dollars. They assume that's the case. How's it going to change the world? Make sure you've got a good, strong sense of your vision and you tell everybody. We used to say, we're going to make Comedy Central the center of the comedy universe. That's a good vision. I love it. Passion and vision. Thank you so much for being on the show, Art. I feel like I just watched a movie hearing your story. That was quite a career. And, and thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, thanks for having me. Really fun. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.